Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan and the family. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Hi. This is the day the Lord has made, and we choose to study His Word in Amen. it. Right? Yes. We're, yes. we're going to be going into the book of Romans today. How many guys are excited about that? Amen. Romans is the Romans' road to salvation. This book's going to walk you right down the road of salvation, take you from being a sinner to being a Christian. Isn't that awesome, guys? Yeah. yeah. So, let's dig into it. It's also Paul's letter to the church that he started in Rome, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something we want to keep in mind, that this is a letter to other believers. So let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born unto King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Jesus, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. So it starts right off talking about Jesus, guys. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It's going to be a good book if it starts right off about him, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you are included along with Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. So he, it sounds like he's writing this book to you guys. Because you guys belong to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, so we can take this book like as if he's writing it right to us. That's what, that's what the letters in the New Testament are. They're just like they're written today to us. So let's keep going here. And you are included along with those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. 
when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. The Holy Ghost. Yeah, he's going to bring some spiritual gifts like the Holy Ghost, right? That's what he's wanting to. That's awesome that you picked up on that, Saul. He is talking about spiritual gifts. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome too, to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. How many people, people? Everybody. Everybody. Saving everyone who believes. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yep, the whole world. The Jews first, and then also the Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. So the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. That's awesome. You guys know what faith is? Yes, faith through Jesus, and if you believe in him. <laughs> yeah. Evidence of things hoped for. Yeah, faith is like when you know something is real. That's what faith really is. Now we're going to learn about God's anger towards sin. You guys ready? So pay attention to this. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Wow, so people say God doesn't punish bad people? Well, the Bible says otherwise. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You guys understand that? He's saying when we look up and we look around us at the earth, it tells us that there's a God. So we won't have an excuse if we say we didn't think there was a God. Yes, they knew God, but they didn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, everlasting God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. Who is worthy of eternal praise? Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. 
men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them and their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. That's crazy, isn't it, guys? So he's talking about this was when all the gay people were in the uh, town. It was, and it still is. Yeah. But as he's we can see, this is in general. And this is not what God had, and this is not what God planned plan for mankind. For their, life. their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. That's big, huh? Mm-hmm. We don't want to be them, right, guys? Every form of... We don't. That's, this is telling you what bad stuff looks like. They refuse to understand, breaking their promises... And they are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's just requirements that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyways. Worse yet, now listen, what's worse than all that? They encourage others to do them too. Bad example. Yeah, they're a bad example. And not only is it bad that they do it, but it's even worse to tell other people that it's okay and tell other people that they can do it. Right. It says right there, it is worse. Now, let's get let's get some better because now we're going to start learning about God's judgment and how he saves us from all that sin and all that bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So chapter 2, verse 1. You may think you can condemn such people. So right, you think that these people are really bad and you can tell them how bad they are. But you are just as bad. Yeah. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? See, here, you know what he's saying is, it's all sin. And if you're sinning, it's not good for you to say that other people are terrible if they're sinning. It's all bad. He's not saying that it's okay to sin. Sin is always bad. But he's saying, don't, don't try to act like everybody's terrible and you're great. We're all terrible, and we all need to acknowledge that we need Jesus, right? You guys know that, right? So you guys need Jesus. Amen. You need Jesus? Yeah. Oh, oh, he does. You do too? Yeah, I'll have Jesus. You're right. But everybody listening needs Jesus too. So let's keep going. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Listen to that. Don't you guys know how good God is and how patient he is with us? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? That's big, guys. So God is actually nice to us to get us to stop sinning. Some people think you got to be mean to people to get them to stop sinning. 
But it says that God uses kindness to make us stop wanting to sin. That's, that's amazing, guys. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will, you hear that? God will judge all of us according to everything that we've done. God knows everything you do, guys. Which is when we go to hell or heaven. No, he's talking about even sometimes in life you get judged. We don't have to wait all the way to right then. here on earth for your actions yep. as well. That's why we got to be careful. Make sure that we're living a good life. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. How about that? That's what we should be doing is seeking after the glory, honor, and immortality that God offers. Yeah. That's awesome. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. You hear that? Who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed. Even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by the law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they have his law when they instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret heart. It actually says Christ Jesus. So you think people are going to like hate my doctrine now that I switched those two words in the Bible? <laughs> Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Either way, we know who the king is, right? You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide to the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. But if the Gentiles obey God's law, 
Won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And so that means we're all Jews, right, guys? You guys know that? You're Jews. You're not Irish, you're Jews, because your heart is right with God. That's what it says. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a change of heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Chapter 3. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there is great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole relationship of God. True, some of them were unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. But some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Is that what's true, guys? No, those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Just as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snakes' venom drips from their lips, and their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. And they have no fear of God at all. That sounds like some terrible people, right, guys? Yep. Sure we don't want to be like them. No, we want to have a healthy fear of God in our life. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. And its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. And to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right by God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. You guys understand that? Mm -hmm. It means all the rules in the Bible are only there to show you how bad we are and how much we need God. So that's why the Bible was created. And then Jesus came to pay for all those sins. 
That's really good when you look at it like that. So let's continue because we're actually going to read about it here. But now God has showed us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's good, guys. So it shows us that we're made right by believing in Jesus, right? And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. That's powerful, guys. You see how much Jesus did for us? Yeah, he pays for all of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People were made right with God when they believed that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who had sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? Did you guys do anything to get accepted by God? No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you believed in him, right? But that's it. Yep, and then he did the rest. He does all that, so we can't really boast. Yeah, we can't boast that we did anything to be accepted by God. Because remember, the Bible said that he accepted us when we were still sinners. So we're talking about before you believed. He accepted us. So no, because of our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based in faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? For of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes the people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. That's powerful, guys. Now we're in chapter 4. And this is, this is the faith chapter, guys. This chapter is all about faith. So let's, let's get into it. Verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness for those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. 
those sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham had already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on the right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. You know, that's pretty big, guys. It's not saying that Abraham got his promise. It's saying that he kept believing in it. That is the faith. Faith is not getting what you will believe in, but faith is continuing to believe what will happen eventually. That's, that's powerful. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous, and when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit that it was recorded. It was for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord God, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. That's powerful, guys. So Jesus died to pay for our sins, but he raised to life so that we could be free to have a good standing in front of God. We would be made right in God's sight. That's really powerful. Next chapter, guys, chapter 5. Now this book is going to show us 
how having faith in God brings joy to our life. That's really cool. You guys believe in Jesus? Yeah. You guys have faith in him, right? Yeah. Well, then let's hear about how happy we can be because we believe in him. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. You guys hear that? We can actually rejoice when we have trials and problems. Let's hear how. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though somebody might perhaps be willing to die for someone who is especially good. What do you guys think? Would yes. you die for somebody? Yeah. Right. What? When you know the things oh, wait, behind wait, wait, it, wait, wait, it makes, yeah, it gives you a stronger thing. I'm not going to lie, guys. I'm not dying for anybody. Even if they're really good, I'm, I'm not going to die. There's no greater love. I die for, no I die for you boys. I would die for you boys, and I'd die for mom. That's about it. <laughs> I'd die for Fortnite to be alive for him. But this is showing that Jesus died for us while we were still bad people. We were still yet sinners. So let, let's continue here now. Though someone might be, perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. That's good, isn't it, Saul? Are you God's friend? Yeah. Yeah, I want to be God's friend. I am a friend of God. You called me friend. When Adam's sin, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, because it was not counted as sin, because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit command from God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Christ Jesus. 
And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man Adam caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace that his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, guys, that brings us to chapter 6. Pay attention, guys, because this is some of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. Starting with verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? What do you guys think? Should we keep sinning? No. No, we shouldn't sin, right? So listen to what it says. Of course not. So the Bible says, don't keep sinning. Since we are dead to sin, how can we continue to live in it? We're dead to it. That's a good one, guys. You got to remember that. We're dead to sin. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power over our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. That's good, guys. We don't have to listen to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. You better pay attention, Saul, because you just got baptized, right? So this is talking to you. This is about what happened. When you were baptized, Jesus broke the power of sin over your life. So you don't have to do bad things no more, right? You can live a life that makes Jesus happy. And Victor, you too. You're next to get baptized, and that's going to be the same, same thing in your life. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. We have to consider ourselves dead to sin. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires, 
Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. You no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You guys hear that? Whatever it is. You guys, whatever you choose to obey. So if you guys decide to do sin, guess what? Yes, Saul. Very good. You become a slave to sin. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God once we were slaves to sin. But now you are wholeheartedly obeying the teachings we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you. Understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which leads to deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were set free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a powerful scripture. And now we're going to move on to chapter 7. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the law of marriage no longer applies to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who has raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we are controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires to produce a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in a new way of living in the Spirit. Well then, Am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known the coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. 
But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me, but still the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So what he's talking about here, guys, is that if we have a list of rules, all that really does is make us look at the rules and see how we're not doing good. But God wanted to have a relationship with us, so he tells us what to do, right? Just like we. We don't have a list of rules that you guys have to obey, but we expect you guys to listen to us and have a relationship with us, right? That's the same thing God wants. But let's move on here. He's going to talk about struggling with sin in our lives. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. How many guys have felt like that? Yeah. Like you want to do something good, but you accidentally do something bad? Just for everybody listening, they did raise their hands. Mm -hmm. We know you can't hear it, but they did. But if I know what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin, and it is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, we got to continue there because this next scripture picks it right back up. Chapter 8 here. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. What is condemnation, guys? You guys know what that is? You're feeling condemned and beat down for the things that you've done, right? Condemnation is like when someone makes you feel really bad, right? The devil says, see, you did that. You did that. It says here, there's no condemnation in Jesus. So God's not trying to show you that you're doing everything wrong just so you can feel bad. He's trying to help you grow and become a better person. Make you better. So let's continue. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law couldn't do. He sent his own son in a body like our bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. What were you going to say? Um, so on earth our bodies of sin and in heaven, it's going to be a godly body. Yes, exactly. Our bodies on earth are sinful, but God said no flesh and blood will inherit the kingdom of God, but our right. soul will go to heaven and God will create us a new bodies. Wow. Just like God's holy body. So all of our problems like Victor, your disability and all of that all be will all go away when we get yeah. to heaven. You get a brand new body. And my disability might be gone when I go up. Oh, and it not might be. It, might be it will be, Victor. It will yeah, be. I'm Guaranteed. Like sleep, maybe be. Yeah, and guess what? All of our disabilities, guys, are disabilities of sin in our life and doing right. bad stuff. Right. We're disabled like, and Those are things that were not meant for earth, but... We fell, but God's making a new heaven and a and new earth. A new and guess who's invited? Woo! Everybody who's baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, but let's get back on track. Sorry, Amen. the Holy Ghost took a little detour there. <laughs> so those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. That's good, guys. Your mind. We're, we have to control our own minds. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So choosing to be, let your mind focus on the spirit of God will lead you to a life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's talking about your skin again. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. What is an obligation, guys? That means you have to. So when people say, man, I have to drink. Oh, man, I had to lie to my boss today. Oh, man, I have to go smoke a cigarette. It says right here, you have no, no obligation. obligation to do what the sinful nature right. urges Amen. you to do. Thank you, God. For if you live by its decrees, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put the death, the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. 
So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit and affirms that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Yeah. We the are heirs God's to his throne, heirs. Saul. Yeah, that's amazing. We're like the princes and princesses. Right. With our king. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs wow. of God's glory. That's why your middle name is King, Saul. You're an, You're an heir, heir to, to the king. That's right. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all of creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. You guys hear that? The whole world was subject to God's curse of sin. Right. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. You hear that? The new bodies, that's what it's talking about. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already had something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit that we have, the Holy Ghost inside of us, prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Holy Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them the right standing with himself. And having given them the right standing, he gave them his glory. So what shall we say about wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for God. Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything, here is a good question, guys, 
Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? No. Yeah, you guys are right. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or desolate or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. But here's the answer, just like you guys all said. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I am convinced, now listen to this, guys. This is a powerful scripture right here. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the fears of today, nor the worries of tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that powerful, guys? Doesn't that make you kind of feel like a superhero? Every time I read it, I feel like I am Superman after reading that. Nothing can stop God's love from reaching us. That's how much he loves us. He's such a big God. So let's pray today. And I hope this Bible study is really touching some people because it's touching us, right? It's really making us understand how big God's love is for us. So you guys want to go to prayer? All right, let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's go to prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time today, God. Digging into your word and learning about how you have given us freedom from sin, God. And victory through your son, Jesus Christ, shed blood on the cross, God. That we will use the power of the blood in our lives, God, to show sin that it no longer has power over us. We will live lives of righteousness that will bring glory to God and something that he can be proud of. We worship you today, God, and we ask you to bury this in the heart of everyone who listens to it, God, that they will have a clear understanding of your word, God, and that they will see how big your love truly is for them, Lord. We hope that you get all the glory and honor for everything we've done here today, God, and we worship you and love you, and in Jesus' name we say, amen. I really hope you, everybody has learned a lot from this Bible study. And we can't wait to continue through the book of Romans with you. Amen. And until Amen. next time, God, God bless. bless you. Bless. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.